several Nobel laureates uh, around the table. And then I looked and thought, there's Margaret Grayson, right, okay. And then I thought, no, no, but I'm here to bring the patient voice. And they were so open and gave me so many opportunities at every idea that came forward that day to have the view from uh, the patient end. You're listening to the Patient Voice in Cancer Research Fireside Chat podcast. The Patient Voice in Cancer Research is an initiative of UCD Conway Institute, a research institute based in University College Dublin. My name is Elaine Quinn. This podcast series deals with the topics that matter most to people on their cancer journey. What does the research tell us? We bring together patients and researchers to answer the tough questions. In episode two, we look at funding cancer research and whether cancer patients can influence who gets the money. Patient advocate Kira McNamara chats with Margaret Grayson, MBE, chair of the Northern Ireland Cancer Research Consumer Forum and PPI representative on the Northern Ireland Cancer Trials Network Coordinating Centre Executive Committee. Also joining the conversation is Ramon Whelan, PVCR steering committee member and Irish Cancer Society grant reviewer and peer support volunteer. This episode is introduced by Amanda McCann, Professor and Senior Conway Fellow in UCD, who leads the Patient Voice and Cancer Research Initiative. A very warm welcome to all of you joining us for our second uh, PVC or Fireside Chat. This is the second of our Fireside Chats. The first was looking at the impact of COVID-19 on cancer research and cancer treatment. And this was Paddy Mallon, Michaela Higgins, and was facilitated by Sarah McLaughlin. And this evening, we have a, a wonderful fireside chat concerning funding research. Can patients influence who gets the money? This is a, a really very important issue in relation to the empowerment and the understanding of patients and the general public in how they can impact on what cancer research gets funded. And equally for researchers that they understand how this is now evaluated with the patient voice at the table in relation to what gets funded. So I'm absolutely delighted to open this session. Thank you very much for joining us. I very much look forward to the discussion and I'll now pass over to Kira McNamara who will facilitate the Fireside Chat uh, for the rest of the evening. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Amanda. As Amanda said, my name is Kira McNamara and I am a PBCR Steering Committee member. And I'm very glad to welcome you all to the Fireside Chat today with a very special event. And the topic is funding research. Can patients influence who gets the money? So I have my own lived experience with cancer. And I always say that experiences is what you get when you didn't get what you wanted. And I don't think anybody in their lives ever wants to have to experience a cancer diagnosis. But a lot of patients who get involved in research we get involved because we want to help researchers find a cure for cancer, to end cancer, and also to help patients who are experiencing cancer have a smoother journey ahead. So through my experience with cancer, it's led me to fabulous people like Professor Amanda McCann, Elaine Quinn, and two other fellow patient representatives, such as Margaret Grayson, who will be chatting to tonight, and Ramon Whelan. So to introduce Ramon, Ramon is a cancer survivor. He was diagnosed with testicular cancer in April 2006 and volunteers with the Irish Cancer Society in their peer support group and has also involved with grant reviewing for a number of years. He's a member of the St. Luke's Research Ethics Committee. He's a passionate believer in the importance of the patient voice in cancer research 
and he wants information regarding cancer research and how patients can get involved to be widely available and easily accessible. Um, he believes this will be of mutual benefit to researchers and to patients and to have a significant impact on the future development of treatments for all cancers. Roman is also a fellow PVCR steering committee member in UCD. So we're delighted to have Roman here today. And it gives me great pleasure to introduce MBE Margaret Grayson. Margaret Grayson is the chair of the Northern Ireland Cancer Research uh, Consumer Forum and is a personal and public involvement representative on the Northern Ireland Cancer Trials Network Coordinating Centre Executive Committee. Margaret was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2004 and has been involved in partnering with researchers as a patient since 2010, including membership of several study steering groups and HSC R&D peer group. She's a trained facilitator for HSC R&D's Building Research Partnerships Workshop and also a patient representative on the IACR Council. Margaret is a member of Use My Data, an independent cancer patient's voice. Nationally, she represents Northern Ireland on the National Cancer Research Institute Consumer Involvement Advisory Group. Margaret is the chair of the Patient Advocacy Panel for Cancer Grand Challenges, a global funding platform founded by Cancer Research UK and the National Cancer Institute. And lastly, um, in June 2018, Margaret was awarded an MBE for services to cancer research in the Queen's birthday honours list. So I will just hand you over to Ramon Wheeler now, maybe for Ramon, for you to introduce yourself and, and to answer the question. The reason why we're all here today, can patients influence who gets the money? And from your experience as a patient advocate and a patient representative, what your opinion is on this? Certainly, thanks a million, Kira. Well, firstly, from just the introductions you gave there and being on the panel with Margaret there, initially, the first thought that came to mind was the uh, imposter syndrome as to what I'm doing here. But that's the one thing that you shouldn't have if you're looking at getting involved in reviewing and having an influence on where the money goes and the grants and that. Because I did science up to my intercert and that's showing age. But uh, I've no other qualifications or knowledge and that of the science end of things. But I have lived through cancer. That's probably as, as valuable, if not more so, than the, uh, the medical side. So can we influence where the money goes? Absolutely, 100%. But there's also as well a duty of care in those uh, grants that we are reviewing. So as a patient on the review panel, you're seeing the involvement that the researchers are having with patients on it. And if they're asking too much or not involving them enough, that can be enough to say, you know, it's it's not really the, the science end, end of it might be there, but if you're asked for the, the patient involvement, it should be it should be fair. It should be like for instance, one of the last ones that I reviewed there that the actual the patients awarded the, the grant, it was it was verified by the scientists and then passed on to three of us to actually award. But one of the things that came back that the three of us agreed with that built into the budget should be funding there to cover the out-of-pocket costs that the patient would have to assist with the research or it may be travel and maybe their time might even be the fact that you're meeting for a cup of coffee or or that but it should be built into their um, their costing but yes we uh, the patient absolutely can um, dictate where the money goes. Margaret would you like to add anything there? 
Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for inviting me to your fireside tonight because um, it's glowing very warm in this cold <laughs> February night. Um, and, and it is really a privilege just to sit with Ramon and with you, Kira, um, just to be able to have a chat uh, on this important topic. When I was thinking about the topic, uh, I was reflecting back and probably back in 2010 and 2011, those early years uh, when I would first have been involved in research. And just the fact that sometimes I sat on a funding panel, a, a local funding panel, and when I think about it, if you'd asked me, did I have any influence uh, in who got the money? Um, I would have probably said yes. But when I think about it, well, I probably didn't have much influence. Uh, it was probably more of a like a tick box, a tokenism that they were able to write down or we had a patient on the panel. But I have seen just the way Ramon, and, I, and I've spoken to Ramon about this at other points, um, has, how he has seen that whole area developed where there is possibility to have some influence. Uh, and then not go over the, the important areas that Ramon um, mentioned, because they are the basic important areas that you would look at. Uh, but I'm going to share um, just a little bit about how that is, has been real for me in um, a global, that global uh, area of, of funding that I'm part of, of grant cancer grant challenges. And it's a, a sort of big blue sky thinking out of the box, big and bold, uh, because it's a global funding uh, platform. It's for international teams to come together. It's for 20 million pounds of an award. Now, please don't panic any listeners that you would think that Margaret Grayson would have a say about the science and hand somebody 20 million pounds. You don't panic. I, I don't have a say in looking and deciding, oh, that's good science or not good science, because I wouldn't know that. Uh, but what the influence a bit is the fact that um, I chair the um, patient advocacy panel, and that patient advocacy panel has an input into the actual the questions that are going to be asked for the research. What are the challenges that are there? Uh, we have an input in looking at also the expressions of interest. So they're in this round, they're going to come in in April. We have an interest in looking at the full applications. Um, and because I chair that group, I sit with the scientific committee. Now, sitting with the scientific committee like that, oh, that's a other old story that I'll maybe tell you a bit about in our, in our chat. Uh, when I think, Ramon, you said... You look and think, what am I doing here? And I look and think, Margaret Grayson, what are you doing in that room around that table? Um, but I'm there to make sure that the patient voice is central to ensure that the, the research that's, that's happening is going to be given an award will somewhere down the line have benefits for patients and what patient groups that might be benefits of. And also to ensure that as the projects go on, that there is patient involvement right throughout the project, um, not just a tick box, but actually embedded centrally, especially difficult perhaps in lab-based research. Um, so that, that's, that's my involvement. And that my answer is, yes, I think we do influence. I agree with Ramon, we, we can influence who gets the money. My first uh, grant review I did with the Irish Cancer Society, 
it was we were issued 10 of the lay summaries so each researcher gives their full um summary with all the scientific i'll, I'll use the word jargon because that's basically all it, it had come across to me and there was a section in it of 200 words or so that had to describe their research project in layman's terms and then we would have to review that under four different topics first one was could i understand it you were marking it out of 10 then you had to give a reason why so that that could be fed back to the researcher so it's, it wasn't just you were giving something back as well the second one was did it actually make sense and could you see where it was going third one was would it be of benefit to the patient and the fourth one final one was would it be of benefit to um, future research so when you were assessing them under that that was the basis initially when we started but since then as i said earlier they're it went from just reviewing that section and giving it back. The ones that got scored the highest then were put forward up to um, last year, actually awarding the grant. It was scientifically cleared that it was uh, fundable and then it was passed to the patients for us to decide. So it changed so quickly. That must be in about six years or so. It has gone from, I wouldn't even say it was tokenism at the beginning. It was it was involvement, but it's it's grown legs very, very quickly. Okay, thanks, Ramon, for that. So how do funding agencies identify the topics that will make a difference to patients is a question that has come in. So I can open that to the floor to either one of you, whoever wants to answer. Well, I maybe continue to share the example of, of the involvement that I have in, in that grand challenge panel. And um, it's a lot of money, £20 million. And so I've been involved since 2014 and there have been seven awards made since that time. Um, so the patient um, advocacy panel came together and had a look to, to see what were the questions that we thought were the most important to ask, the big, the big questions about cancer that needed answered. Now, when we came together, there are 12 of us on the advocacy panel. It just happens to be six patients and six carers. And when we came together, obviously, we're very different. We have different experiences, different life experiences, but we have one passion, and that's to ensure that research happens, the research that's a benefit to patients, benefit to the NHS, that, that that happens. And as well as bringing our own thoughts on what were the, the topics that we would like to think to see researched, there was also Cancer Research UK had, had global meetings um, over a period of time in Milan and Amsterdam and Madrid and London and Edinburgh and asked what were the ideas, even from researchers of all levels, what they thought? So those ideas came to us as well, as, as did uh, public online submissions for people who wanted just to say what they thought should be the ideas. So here we had all this, these large number of ideas and thoughts, but we couldn't say, oh, this is, we'll have all of these. So as a panel, we had to then discuss, decide, have a consensus of what were the top five priority challenges for us. I then take those. Now, they didn't necessarily have to be Margaret's top priorities. It was a consensus of what we wanted to take. And, and um, as the, the, the chair of the panel, then I sat with the scientific committee. Now, that was at first I thought, what, what will I say here? Will I really let patients down? These were people who, well, it was chaired by Sir Paul Nurse, who's the Francis Crick 
There were several Nobel laureates uh, around the table. And then I looked and thought, there's Margaret Grayson, right, okay. And then I thought, no, no, but I'm here to bring the patient voice. And they were so open and gave me so many opportunities at every idea that came forward that day to have the, the, the view from uh, the patient end. Uh, for exa example, one of the big things about NAFIS as patients is that fear of um, recurrence. Um, we all have heard people perhaps who have done well with their treatment, but maybe 10, 15, 20 years down the line, uh, their cancer occurs, uh, and they, they have mets and, and, and they, they don't do, then do very well necessarily. And it is a fear in the, or a concern at different times for most people who have a cancer diagnosis. And that was one of our priorities. Um, you know, what happens? Why do cells do that? Now, that was taken up and, and um, was sent forward as one of the recommendations from the Scientific Committee to NCI and CRUK. And it came out as if you read the challenges, it's dormancy. Now, sorry, I didn't put it as and this is dormancy and we think this is really important. Um, to, to me and to uh, the rest of, of the, the panel, it was, where were, this? where were those cells? Where have they been? Why have they been hiding? And then what makes them activate themselves again? So there were several of the nine challenges that are current that were very much our top priorities. Um, so yes, we have an influence in, in choosing the, the topic and sending the challenges. Just from my own experience, I was involved in a research group. It was a pilot project with UL Can um, Research in University of Limerick. And it was part of a wider study with um, Trinity College in, in University College London, where um, they wanted to interview patients and research um, how COVID-19 had impacted on household medication usage. And that, has, that came from, I suppose, the issues that patients were having during COVID and accessing medications and managing them at home when they couldn't go to, to hospitals and doctors, et cetera. And so there was a small, small little bit of funding um, given for that. And I was involved in recruiting patients who were taking medication at the time to become involved in the study. And just recently, it was acknowledged that the Irish Research Council have given some funding to Trinity College um, to, to study it over a longer period of time with 50 patients. So very much so the, the patient influenced, I suppose the need was there with the patients and then the patients influenced that money to be granted for a further and a longer study to be undertaken in that area of household medication management, which is excellent. Just one quickly, one of the um, faculties in Queen's University in Belfast came to the Northern Ireland Cancer Research Consumer Forum, which is an awful mouthful, and asked us just openly what were our questions that we wanted to have research on. Um, and then they took those away. Uh, they worked on them and they have come out in, in different uh, levels, so some as masters, some as PhD studies, um, and and they, they were willing to take those on board. So, yes, I think Ramona probably agree. There's those opportunities that come up. Absolutely. Yeah. My experience in it is there's um, Rachel and Claire in the Cancer Society who look after the research grant side of things. So for them, kind of they put out a call 
um, an advertisement for that there's a grant available. So once the, the people, it's open to anybody to um, apply once they've uh, once they meet the obviously the elig- eligibility criteria, and it's from there that the patients are recruited in um, to do the the uh, reviewing and and that sort um, thing. So. Personally, I haven't had the influence that Margaret has of, you know, sitting around the, the table with Nobel Prize winners just yet. But uh, so we'll come. If, if I can do something like that, you are way more able to do something like that, let me say. So, so Ramon, just to clarify, the funding agency themselves comes up with the topic. The topic has been decided before the money is given out, is it? Well, they'd have a general um, grant and the researchers then would submit their applications and it'd be on their specific topic. So you could could get anything from um, breast to prostate. It depends on on what the what it falls under. But it's it's not it's not um, sorry, from my experience, it's not specified because normally each of them that we'd be reviewing would be completely different. They may be there may be more um, like the, the last one, the last ones we had, I think there was four. Uh, one was prostate cancer, one was lung cancer, and two were breast cancer. So it's not specific. So it is a generalised. It depends on what applic- applications come in for the expression of interest. Yeah. 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 Okay. Very good. So, in your opinion, has cancer research funding um, been impacted by COVID nineteen? Our um, HSC, which is our Health and Social Care NHS funding, has not been impacted through. It's given out through public health R and D. Um, and the cancer network funding has has been maintained um, throughout. A, a lot of funding obviously has also gone specifically to COVID research, uh, but they they also do a lot of joint funding, especially with charities. And it would really be the charities issue that will have a long term impact on, on research. Um, Charities like Cancer um, Cancer Focus in Northern Ireland, smaller charities or larger charities like Cancer Search UK. Um, you know, but at the beginning of the pandemic, they were they cut um, they had to cut their spending by something like forty four million uh, back in December. Then another forty five million. Now that's a massive impact um, on. Um, the job, the staff that they on infrastructure, because quite often they are su- support staff. I know in Northern Ireland they support the cancer, uh, some of the cancer research nurses. The infrastructure and the lab science has those projects have been cut, and it's seen that that will get uh, less and less. The funding will be cut more and more as the years go on. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a big issue over the next number of years. I think by 2024, they thought they would be spending £150 million less every year. So that has an impact for us as patients because that's an impact on innovation. It's an impact on research. It's an impact on young career researchers um, in relation to, to jobs and things like that. And I think we'll only see the full impact of it as the, over the next number of years uh, in relation to that. And there certainly there would be a campaign within the UK that, to ask the government to support medical research charities um, at this point in time. Uh, otherwise, we lose a lot of research. And instead of leading in research, we'll be going backwards. Just a few thoughts. Okay, and would that be more in the kind of translational medical oncology area or is it just across the board? Across the board, across the board. 
Okay. A lot of the, the research that happens in public can be jointly with um, the HSC, but but a lot of the research would um, be used and like that. So I, I assume that, that that will have an impact as we go along. Okay. And have you had any experiences, like let's say I've had the, the involvement with the household medication management that like research funding was granted purely from COVID-19. Have you come across any research um, areas that were funded due to COVID specifically or investigations or research that's been undertaken because of COVID? A lot of research that I've had to review as a review, as a PPI person, turning COVID research around on a, um, very quickly throughout yeah. the past lockdown year and also I'd be involved in the data world and in DataCam, the HD, the Health Data Research UK uh, data hub, um, which has been, you know, doing a lot of um, gathering of data uh, and looking at the impact of COVID on especially people not going to their doctor um, and not being diagnosed. um, And that has been a big area of of concern and and still is probably as well. I know that the Irish Cancer Society is who I do the uh, reviewing for, and again, that's a charity without without funding. So it's it's all um, donations and thing with Daffodil Day cancelled and everything like that. So it's all. I'm sure their funding is down all right, and will have the as, as Margaret said the the knock on effect going forward. Of course, and I have another question here. So, what are your priority criteria for assessment in terms of the grant funding? My main thing would be what what benefit is this for patients either now or 10, 15, 20 years down the line? You know, how have they organised their research? And also very much um, what involvement have they had with patients in organising and designing their research? What are they asking patients who are participating as as subjects in the study? What are they asking them to do? Um, So those would be, the the main thing would be, what is the benefit? Um, Is is there a benefit? Um, And and what is that benefit? As well as looking at who's doing the research and everything else. But I think Ramon has that down to his his lovely four points. The four pointer that I had was for the initial one, um, which was just for the, the lay review, you know, the... Could I understand it in that? But the last ones uh, last year, there was three headings that we had to assess on. And obviously it was the the patient involvement plan to make sure that the patient was being looked after. Firstly, on on that one, that's where I would look at to make sure the patient was being looked after. There wasn't too much to be asked of them and um, that the researcher is aware that this can stir up memories again. It may be five, ten years ago that they had the, the illness. But they're getting involved, helping now, and it could bring back fresh memories. The second one was the sharing of their research findings that um, over the last while I've noticed a few, uh, some of them that come in, they, they're going to share their findings through either their college or their company website or anything like that. But there was nothing coming back out to to the people or to who was, who was involved or to get out to the general public. And then the third one that we were assessing on was the actual impact that is, as you said, Margaret, is it a benefit to, to the patient? Is it going to be a benefit going forward? Is it something that can be developed? So it was basically it's the same thing. There was the three points, the patient involvement, the sharing of their, their research and the impact that it'll have. I, I agree with you, Mona, especially the, what they call the dissemination, the, serve, the sharing of the results. Um, 
uh, sometimes um, researchers don't put down and they always have to give a plan, I think, in their in the in what their uh, plan for funding. But they don't put down or think about the fact that the PPI person that has gone through the project with them could actually go to a conference and and share um, in the research can share that research um, with the support groups that they are linked with. And they're a great voice to get that research results out to the public and to influence, I think, the people who might, um, if it has to be like something implemented because of the research, there's nothing as strong as the patient voice uh, in getting back to the people. Absolutely. You'd believe it from somebody who's been involved in it and had, had contributed to it more so than the person who, and I don't mean that in any bad way to the researcher, they're doing all the work. But if the patient comes back to their support group and says, I was involved in this, this is what they're looking to do, that holds major, major weight. Very good. There's a couple of questions, guys, that have come in on the the question and answer here. And um, the first one here is from an anonymous attendee. And it said, how did patients influence the CRUK's decision to spend such huge sums on Blue Sky Research. Back in 2014, when it was just a thought in the head um, of somebody within Cancer Research UK, and there was a meeting in Edinburgh where they brought people um, and there was about 100 people in the room and there were 10 of us who were PPI people. And we were each at a table and around my table, there were um, 11 other people, people who would never have spoken to each other as researchers because um, there was a drug development chemist, uh, there was a natural chemist, um, there was an engineer, there was a physicist, there was an oncologist and a hematologist. And we spent the day looking at what would be the questions that might be important. And we had to do a, a magazine um, sheet and, and cover at the end of it. Um, and then it was saying that actually you see the fact of bringing gl- minds from different disciplines coming together um, and global minds to look at big questions um, is the way forward for those massive questions that have not ever been answered in research, perhaps through other research uh, processes. So right at the beginning, we have been involved and saw it as um, a way of doing this type of research that was different to all the other sort of fund research funding levels. Um, so patients were involved from 2014 and were very supportive when the whole ethos of a grand challenge um, was explained. Thanks, Margaret. Thanks for answering that. How can patients influence how much money is allocated to which priorities, for example, spending on cancer and not diabetes? And how do we influence industry spending? Um, Again, I suppose I'm probably pigeonholed here that it's through the Cancer Society that I'm involved. So for influencing how much the money is allocated, I suppose that's basically down to the the funding that they actually have been able to to allocate. And again, I'm I'm a cancer patient uh, or cancer survivor, so it's the cancer that I would be um, dealing in. Um, so as to where, example, and spending of whether it goes to cancer or diabetes, that's that wouldn't be a decision I would be um, able to able to make or able to influence. It is always a big issue, isn't it? Because whatever it is that has impacted you as a person, of course. You, you feel that that's where um, 
and if it's a government funded research, whatever that or uh, within industry, um, you want your voice heard because that's important to you. Sometimes I think, well, you have to be fair to everybody to an extent. It just can't have everything. Oh, please, please, please. This is all has, has to be cancer. But I'll shout very loud for cancer, um, for the, um, the impact of cancer on people's lives. For being able to look at areas in research such as preventions, um, as diagnosis, um, as treatment, and living with and beyond cancer, because if we if we look and put uh, within industry um, influence that in those areas, will then ultimately it costs less money in the long run. Does that does that make sense in in looking after patients? So um, I would say um, I have no problem going and sitting with a group of people in a hall and um, industry representatives there, and I'll tell you why cancer should have that research. Um, but they would also listen to what other people say as well. So perhaps I wouldn't be the best um, there, um, but I would want a fairly big chunk of the money. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Margaret. What supports should be put in place to support patient input into cancer research? Education. And I don't mean that I'm training or just to uh, let the researchers know, you know, talk to the patient. If the patient has put themselves forward uh, to get involved, they want to get involved. You don't need kid gloves, but don't expect too much. That you can't expect, you know, them to, to drop everything at the drop of a hat and, you know, travel across the country for a half hour meeting with you. And, you know, but also if the patient is put forward, put themselves forward, they are there to be to be approached, to be used. That, you know, if you put your hand up, you're going to you're going to be used. So I would say to to let the researchers know that don't be afraid to um, do use us and also to um, let the the uh, the patient know that something that Amanda and myself haven't figured out how to is that it's it's okay to say no. If you're being asked to do something and you say no, it doesn't mean you're letting the project down or you're letting somebody down. It's just if you can't do it at that time, it that's fine. Ramon, the lovely thing is that you have never said no, and thank you so much for that. <laughs> I practice the no word often in the mirror, um, Ramon. Um, yeah. uh, funny then, funny it. it when I face people, it seems to come out as yes. I think a support. I think the support um, is actually known what you're being asked to do. That a researcher has actually told you what, in a way, like your your brief is. You know what is your role um, and what you're expected to do. What time that might take off my time? Um, is it like am I going to meet every week for three months, or am I going to meet twice a year for five years? Um, and I think that's really important. Um, the biggest thing for me was um, the language that researchers use. You know, it's totally foreign language, totally foreign. And the language that you write for to publish things is totally foreign. And, and it's learning um, some of that language. And all you hear, I haven't become a, a researcher or a scientist, not at all, but I've had to learn some of your language. And so think new people coming in that whole jargon and oh, Research, never seen so many acronyms in all my life. <laughs> um, this is everything is either three, four, five, six acronyms in. So that's whole support. And if if I'm sitting somewhere um, that I have that I get papers in advance, that if I 
perhaps don't understand and I need to ask something that I've got a link person that I can answer um, ask about um, and sort of that that those are important things on, on support for for me that everything's clear that I get papers that I'm able to ask someone the question and no questions too silly like um, it's all right not to know it I'd agree with you there Margaret yeah don't be afraid to ask a question there's no such thing as a stupid question and um, there's a couple of questions here, guys. How have eight patients influenced the decisions about where spending gets cut? And um, if anyone would like to answer briefly on that. The cuts are only sort of coming now um, and have been ongoing. Um, and, and I don't think in any rule that I have that I have been part of deciding in the cuts, uh, if, if you're with me. So I don't think I have been... the influenced up to this point and where those cuts have had to come in different, you know, grants have been cut uh, to a lesser amount. Um, but I would have to say I've had no influence in how those are cut or decided. I'd be the same. Yeah, the, the, those decisions are made elsewhere. Okay. Lorraine has a question here. Fantastic event and discussion. Lots of researchers have been cancer patients and or have family members who have had cancer, but find it very difficult to get in contact with the patient advocate to invite as expert on their research. They are happy to cover travel costs, etc., but not aware of the appropriate route to finding a patient or survivor with interest in being involved. Can you please advise? And there's two or three questions that are kind of similar. How can patients get involved if channels are not open to them? And what supports do you recommend to rectify this imbalance? Um, just wondering how we might hear different voices from different communities, from people who are not commonly heard. So a lot of that ties into our last question which is how do you get involved? So how do you get patients involved and how do we encourage patients to become involved in research? So maybe Margaret, from your own involvement, um, maybe just to, to give a little bit of insight into how you would recruit patients and how you would get patients involved. Um, certainly within the Northern Ireland Cancer Research Consumer Forum, we would certainly hold public evenings that we talk about research. We would be at um, Research um, Institute in Queen's Open Days. And we would just through word of mouth and through flyer, we simply say, Are, have you been impacted by cancer? And that can be as a patient or a carer. Are you interested in influencing research uh, in Northern Ireland? Uh, and through that, people come through to the PPI lead, who's Ruth Boyd. Um, and we actually then, we, we go for coffee. We go for coffee so that we hear their story, Ruth and myself. It's like an interview, but not an interview. Um, and we go for a coffee so they can tell us their story. But also then we can explain what it is they're getting into, that it's not a support group. It is actually a working group uh, and we take it from that. The same for the rest of the UK, the National Cancer Research Institute. Um, there are patient representatives on different um, subgroups uh, and different tumour groups within that. And that's all open advertising. Um, you are free to apply and be interviewed. The same with the Cancer Grand Challenge Advocacy Panel. That was advertised. Uh, people apply um, and you're actually interviewed for those posts and appointed. Um, myself, I was I was doing the peer support with the Cancer Society at the time and I was approached to see would I would I be interested. 
Um, but I know they're actively recruiting at the moment and I do know because I did contact Claire and Claire's in the Cancer Society. So as she said to me, they're always, always looking for people to get involved and they're specifically calling out to level out the playing field that they're actively looking for male participants. It's not to say you can't apply if you're a female, but that the, to level out the balance, they are looking for more men to get involved. So if if you are interested, the Cancer Society is, is one way. I know they have it on their um, their Facebook page, their Twitter account, everything like that. So it's, it's out in social media anyway. And I'm sure each of the other charity are all the same. They're all looking for people. And I'm sure if you're interested to just contact them. You've been listening to the Patient Voice and Cancer Research Fireside Chat podcast. A big thank you to our speakers and patient participants today. Subscribe and follow the Patient Voice and Cancer Research wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.